Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Thank you just for your word. That it's so rich and that every time we get stuck into it, Father God, that you speak to us. I pray that tonight would be no different. I pray that we come out of here though tonight, not just with head knowledge, Father, but with with something that has shifted our hearts towards you in some way. Uh, that somehow you, you, you drop something into our hearts that will be transformational. Amen. Let's look to you for that tonight with great expectation. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you speak to us and you, you, you love me. So you with Stephen and Siobhan as they share with us tonight and commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Mike. Tonight we've made it more challenging on ourselves. Because, um, you see, we didn't want it to be an indefinite period of time. Our point in this oneness thing is to make it four weeks. Try to keep it as concise as possible. And you will notice there's six chapters in Ephesians. And we've gone through one. So we have five left. So tonight, because Paul is carrying on the same theme, we decided to do you both chapter two and three tonight. All right. Having said that, this is a Bible study. We do have a roaming mic. We do want participation, like we said. Uh, we don't want to be the only ones reading Bible verses or even commenting and asking questions. So this is open. This is, if you have something, just get our attention, um, and we'll pass the microphone around. The only reason for the microphone is we are recording, and it's, it's to share with those that are not here, right? Even though you're not here in body doesn't mean you can't be with us in spirit, all right? We want everybody to come, but the podcast is to reach those that have reasons that they cannot make it. All right. So, and we're purposely not using the screen tonight. Okay. Trying to, it's a Bible study. I know it's in, the, in a setting that you're familiar with, a Sunday sermon, but it's definitely it's a collaborative effort, and we would like you to bring your Bibles to Bible study. All right. So, who would like to read the first section? Um, any translation is fine. If it came across that I'm translation biased, it's because I am. <laughs> I know. But it's, it's just because I, I, the way I explain it to Siobhan and the way he understands me is that it's like someone who speaks your language. You understand it easier. So for me, personally, in my opinion, when I read the message, it's something that is, someone has digested and given in a poetic way that I can understand it. Because the King James for me is like, what does these and thou's mean? Um, but we are, not, we are not translation bias per se. We would like, if you have whatever Bible in front of you, whatever translation you will read, that's fine. I might reread it in the message for my own benefit, but that's also cool. So, does anybody want to read the first section, which is we're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. Any takers? Great. Thank you. Nicola. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us, doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. 
Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin, dead lives, and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own, with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Thank you. Thanks, Nikki. I believe, from my memory, everyone was here on Sunday. We don't have someone that was, wasn't here on Sunday that is here tonight. Am I correct? All right. So, you see, it's, it's, it's quite cool that we just went through chapter 1 on Sunday and doing chapter 2 and 3 on Wednesday because you'll see Paul carries on the same train of thought, right? In the poetry in chapter 1, he basically now goes back and references and elaborates on two aspects. The first aspect is God's grace, and the second aspect is the new multi-ethnic family. All right. And just like chapter 1, when, when Nicola read, for me there was strong imagery through the words that he used, specifically in the message. Um, I mean, and that re when we were talking on Sunday, we were referring a lot to Genesis, specifically early Genesis in the creation story. Now, the, for me, we quite enjoyed it. The, the words that he used, uh, the author, well, the translator, Eugene Peterson of the message, he says that you were mired, right? What does imagery, does the word mire conjure up when you think of Genesis? Anybody? Yeah, the miry clay, right? And then he carries on and he says, we're speaking about the old life for us. And he says, you, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. Don't you just love the way he is explaining how we give into sin? That immediately when we were talking with Siobhan is that you're reminded of Genesis where Jesus filled Adam's lungs with his spirit and his breath. Now, let's just stay in that poetic world for a bit. You see, you're either filled with God by choice, or you're not. The way I explained it to Siobhan is that in a restaurant, you come to the restaurant and the door and they ask you one question up front generally nowadays. What's that question when you want a table to sit at a restaurant? Anybody? Smoking or non-smoking, right? And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not slamming the smoking, but it's like it's, you have a choice where do you want to sit. And that is like this, is like participating in sin. If you're going to sit in that position, you're going to be filled with smoke. And smoke will penetrate not just your lungs, but when you come out of there, you smell. You or you, even if when you're a non-smoker and you come out of a smoking section, you generally dislike it. You have to wash your hair, wash your clothes, and everything is just intoxicated by that, by that, that smoke. And I just love the way he said, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief. That's the first thing. You chose not to believe in God. And your trust relies on yourself. Like Adam and Eve, they chose to rely on their own opinion of what, right is, and what, is, what is right and what is wrong. They, didn't, they chose not to trust God any longer. Right? And the direct result, so you breathe in, that, that unbelief, and you breathe out disobedience just like Adam and Eve did in the, in the Garden of Eden. And those are the references back again, once again, to the creation story in Genesis. And let me read from you from the King James Version. Yay. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Like we said on Sunday, the miry clay wasn't good enough for man to be created and shaped. God had to breathe into him 
his own essence, who his character and nature was, breathing into Adam. And only then he became a living soul. Yeah. Um, so basically Paul then uh, jumps into, I think St Stephen explained to about verses, to verse 3. And so you see that, that Paul is describing this idea of, of we've all decided to do this. Um, but God, like I said on, on Sunday, was so given to the idea that mankind would be in his reflection and in his image like he created in the garden that he could not help himself but to step in and rescue us. And so I'm going to read from, from the ESV because I think we were having a conversation and I, sometimes I, I, while thinking about it, I thought that it's one thing for us to come and, and speak to you and say things, and, but then you go home and you read your Bible and it, the language is a lot different and, and all of a sudden you, you, you back into thinking with the religious words that the Bible speaks of. And sometimes we just have no clue as to what it's saying. So I want to read um, from verses uh, 4 to, to 7 from the ESV, but with the language we have come to know in the church. Um, and this is what it says. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, um, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And I think one thing that, that we, we will notice within the book of Ephesians is this idea of us being in Christ. The in Christ, in Christ. Um, and one of the most profound uh, Paul theologians, Pauline theologians, uh, his name is N.T. Wright, and he believes that Paul got this idea from um, Acts chapter 8 where he has this encounter with Jesus and he gets knocked off the donkey and Jesus, he asks, Lord, what do you want? What, who are you? And Jesus' response is, why do you keep persecuting me? And uh, N.T. Wright says that Paul noticed that Jesus did not separate himself from us. Jesus himself was not being persecuted. His people was. But his response to Paul was, why are you persecuting me? And so... He comes up with this idea and this theology, this, this metaphor that we are in Christ. That we, we do know that from a literal standpoint, we are not in Christ from a literal standpoint. From a spiritual standpoint, we are, right? Because to be literally in Christ right now would mean to be in heaven and we are not. Right? So he's, he's trying to paint an, a picture. Whenever you see that word in Christ, it's, it's the same like what Jesus says to the guy on the cross, like I said to you on Sunday. It's to be in paradise. It's to be in the presence of the Lord. Right? It's to be back in the garden. Whenever you see that, that imagery of being in Christ, it's to be reunited and restored to our original intent. To have fellowship with Him. Yeah, to have fellowship with Him. Walk in there's, the cool of the day. Yeah, there's no... Um, the, the metaphor is a powerful metaphor, just like the being the body of Christ or, or any other metaphor that, that unites us with him. But it's not like 
being I'm inside of him somehow. You know, it's not a little thing, but it's a very powerful image of what he's trying to say. He's saying, when we say we are in Christ, we are in heavenly places, he's saying we've been restored to the garden. Our original intent has been actually restored. We now function from a place of the blessing of the Lord, right, like Adam did, before he messed up. So when we see, when we see that, that imagery there of being in Christ and, and what it means to be saved, right, it's, it's that Adam did nothing to end up in the garden. He didn't manufacture something. He didn't work hard. He did nothing. He ended up in the garden because God put him there. Just like how we end up in the kingdom. We end up in the kingdom because God, by his mercy and his grace, decided that he wants us there. Yeah, so I think we can all agree we did nothing yeah. to deserve what Christ did for us. But there's one thing God does not require but would desires from us. Who, what do you guys think that one thing is? Like, like Siobhan was saying, God put, God put Adam in that garden, God put us back in Christ. What is the one thing that requires, what is the one thing that we require when to put our lives into Jesus' hands. What is, what is the word for that? Salvation? Anybody else? Yeah. There's another word I'm looking for, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everything is correct. There's no wrong answer. That's all right. But the word I'm looking for specifically is that, like the, the, the message is, all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's just so simple. So profound, but so simple. It's, it's a question of trust. Yeah. It's like back in the garden again, right? Jesus said, or God the Father said to Adam and Eve, you know, everything is at your disposal. Yeah. So often we, we focus on the thing that wasn't at our disposal, the one thing that we don't have. But everything else was available, and it was in, all they needed to do was to trust the advice and the direction that was given. And the same for us today. All the God the Father requires or desires from us in Christ is that we trust. Yeah. It's a trust exercise. He wants us to remain in Christ, in trusting in Him, yeah. and, in, and let Him do it. Yeah, and, and, and then in verse 8, he kind of says something off the cuff that we have, we have really grabbed a hold of within the body of Christ, and we should have. But I think to Paul, he was, just, he was just making a statement and then moving on. And this is what he says. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not, and that not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is a paradox of note, because he's saying we're not saved by works, but we are created for works. Yeah. That is, when, I, when I, I kept reading that today and thinking, man, that's powerful. God created me for works, but my works can't save me. Now, also today, when in editing one of Dad's articles, the, the heading I put is, we need to work with, within God's rest. That's yeah. the only point that we actually work as Christians. Yeah. Like, the true work that begins is when we're at rest yeah. in Christ. And it's, it's like, a, like a, if, you, if we go back to, to, just for a second, to the God, because I think he's, he's dealing with this. He's saying, when God put Adam in the garden, before the curse, before anything, his mandate was to work. Go subdue the earth. Go and, and, and tend dominion. to the garden, have dominion. Go rule, right? And so Great I think, and yeah, and I think that's what he's doing here. He's saying we're not saved by our works, 
but Jesus has restored us to the place where we can actually work properly again. Right? The, the, when we work outside of the presence of God or the garden, we malfunction. We don't work properly. We, we, we work from a place of sweat. Yeah. Well, that reminds me. It's like, just compare the two types of work before the fall and after the fall. Before the fall, the work was natural and easy and, you know, God gave instruction and direction and you don't actually see any striving or toiling. It's creative. It's, it's yeah. exploratory. It's a journey. But straight after the fall, they had to till the ground. They had to work. That yeah. everything, even childbirth, was, a, was difficult and yeah. hard and painful. Can you see the difference within in God's rest and outside of God's rest? And yeah. today, you know what? Both are available to us. We just have to choose where yeah. do we want our trust to lie. Yeah. Tony Fitzgerald always says, he says, either we have two types of Christians, one who works for the blessing and those who work from the blessing. Yeah. And I think Paul is saying in Ephesians 2, Guys, we've been restored to the point where we work from the blessing of God. No more sweat, no more desire for, for you know, I'm going to get this done and, and struggle. and None of that is, is in, our, in our desire anymore. We will still work hard. Yeah. Um, because subduing is not something that, that is done with ease. Trust me, this beard has to be subdued. You know, this, it's a, the, I'm, I'm sorry. So, uh, the, I think I'm using language that, that we might not understand, but I think the, the true, a real definition for subdue is, to, is to, um, to, to enforce your will on your environment. And I think that's what God is telling Adam in the garden. He's saying, don't leave this to grow as it pleases because it will grow into chaos. I want you to enforce your will on that apple tree. Prune it so that it will produce more apples. You know, I want you to, like those chairs were subdued by someone. If I just left it to its own devices, it would be a mess. Yeah. Right? So I think we can take that from, in, just in our everyday life, <coughs> when you go back to your workplace and and think about, like, what you're doing is not mundane and irrelevant. It's you subduing. It's you bringing order to something that if you don't, it will cause it, it will end up in chaos. Yeah, that's why we're the salt and the light. We're there to make a difference. So, uh, Siobhan already read from the ESV uh, 7 and 10, but I just want to read the end, tail end of 10 from the message, and then we can carry on to the next section. It says, God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Well, one big revelation that I found is that God wants us to be his co-workers. Mm. He doesn't, he's not a, later on we're going to read, he's not a chess player. He doesn't just have this grand master plan and pushes pieces as he wants them to get his will done. He enjoys and he thrives on us being involved. He created Adam and he left Adam with decision-making of cool things, right? Naming yeah. animals, subduing the earth. He wants us to be partakers in that. And now we are real partakers, DNA-wise, in Jesus, right? But guess what? We have to do the work. Yeah. If we don't do it, it's not going to get done. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, let's, who would like to read the next section um, we're going to read all the way from 11 to 15. Anybody interested in reading for us? Van Rensburg's 
being of great help. It must be the front row guy, front row. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Okay, from the message. Um, but don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this, didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we are now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Thanks, Mark. So there's a big cultural context that we know in our head, but maybe it's, it's forgotten in today modern society. And we actually read it in Ephesians 1 verse 10. I'm going to paraphrase this. God's purpose in all of this is to unify all things, not just on earth, but in heaven and on earth under Christ. Christ becomes the head of everything. The whole point of this gospel story is to unify humanity and God again, right? But not just between mankind and God, but mankind already was divided. And we, we literally just read it. God's plan was to always have a huge family of restored human beings who are unified in Jesus the Messiah. So when we read that, you immediately you're talking, there's two groups of people that are identified. The covenant people, who are the? The Jewish nation, right? Israel. And then the Gentiles. Guys? Everyone else. That's us. <laughs> right? I don't know if anybody's got Jewish blood, but that would be everybody else, right? And thank, thank God for Jesus, right? Thank God that he, he was there to die for us as well, you know? And now we are one family in Jesus. We are now together on this, the message is, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. Right? Isn't that a great, isn't that a, a good news? If, I mean, if you just have to think about in a snapshot, when the fall of man happened, mankind was divided and scattered. And you can see that illustrated even further in the Tower of Babel where mankind was doing their own thing, you know, and they were going along, and God chose one family to carry on his covenant. And he chose Abraham, and he made a covenant with Abraham. And through that point, he, he follows that family. And that's his people, right? And out of, from Abraham and the seed and all the way to the seed of David, Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant. And mankind is brought back together in unity. See, it was always God's plan to to save the whole human race. But in the Old Testament, and a lot of Jews today, they feel that they are the only people. But thank goodness and thank God for Jesus, otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here. We should be the most excited. Yeah. Like the messages, we were out of it. We weren't part of the story. We, we weren't in the cast. Right? Is, doesn't that make you feel special? <laughs> right? And I just love the way it ended. It says, then he started over. That's why, that's why we're referring back to Genesis a lot. You guys are like, oh, we're, doing, we're doing Ephesians. Why are they talking so much about Genesis? Because it's, he's poetically explaining how the gospel is, how Jesus is the reflection of Adam and how he has started the creation process all over 
Let's read it again. He says, Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being. That's why we say it's not just spiritual jargon to say we are a new creation. We, when Jesus died on that cross, his blood was now ours. Our DNA changes. We are new creations. We are new human beings. A fresh start for everybody. And I, I just think that's really great news. Yeah, does anyone want to read from um, verses 16 to 18? Jake? And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for the habitation of God in the Spirit. Thanks, Thank you. I think Paul has a, a phenomenal way of always putting the cross in the center of any type of idea he's trying to bring across. He's, he's wanting to show us that, that we are now reconciled both to God and to one another. And before he, he, he dives into, into what that means, he shows you the idea of God, he shows you the means of God, and then he will take us into what that, that would lead to. Um, and so Jesus seems to be at the center of, of once again, not just our salvation and us being called to God, but us being called to one another. Like Jesus' death on the cross was not just that I get to go to heaven and have a good life. Our death, his death on the cross was so that humanity as a whole could see each other as one in him. The I think in our days, we wouldn't say Jew and Gentile anymore. We would have terms like black and white and colored and all of those terms that, that no longer mean anything if liberal I'm a Christian. Liberal and conservative. <laughs> it means nothing if I'm a Christian. What does the color of my skin have to do with anything? Right? And so that also means I can't get offended when someone says something to me. You know, like... Oh, I'm, I'm, why am I attaching myself to something that's not my identity anymore? That's what he's saying. Your identity is in the crust. Yeah. It's no longer whether my skin color is darker or lighter, or whether my culture says this or that. It's about, are we in Jesus, yes or no? Right? And if we can agree on that, then we have to leave everything else at the door. Mm. Everything else. Like we said, we have one DNA now. Yeah. 
we, we're no longer allowed to, and I'm guilty of it. <laughs> yeah, we're not saying, we're, you know, we're, we're talking all, to ourselves. Yeah. I think we're all guilty of, of attaching ourselves to a culture that is no longer ours. We're not Liverpool and Man United fans. <laughs> <laughs> no. Because there's, there's one thing we agree on is that we'll never walk alone. <laughs> <laughs> He's quiet. <laughs> he can't argue with that. I got no comeback. <laughs> you got me, Stephen. Yeah, I got you. That worked well. We united, yes. We are united. <laughs> <laughs> help him. Michael's gunning for you. Yeah. All right. So. I'm going to read the J read all the way, I think, till 22. So I'm going to read a little bit again from, from the message to, to just close out this chapter. And um, I, for me, the beginning was pivotal, but he bring, literally brings it home here. He says, you belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. Just, it's not, just that word is not there for just anything. He's not building a church, necessarily. He's not building a building. He's, a, he's building a home. And who's going to live in that home? Yeah. It's not just us. All humanity is a family again, and we live under one home. But he wants to come live with us. Right? That's why he's orchestrating this. He's like he's setting the members of the family in their place so he can come and live with us yeah. once again. Right? And I just love the way the Bible... In any translation, it says he used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. And they, give, they carry on this metaphor of the home and the house. Now he's using you, fitting you in. Let's just say stone by stone. Everyone likes the stones, not the bricks, because no human hands must touch the temple stone. Amen. With Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Anybody want to elaborate on the cornerstone? Nobody? Any engineers? That's the keystone. But it's, it's the cornerstone in the building is normally at the bottom. And uh, nowadays, they normally have a ceremonial one where they're actually covered in bronze or something. But yeah, the keystone and the arch is the same thing. But with the cornerstone in a building, it's near the foundation. It's on the corner somewhere. And even in your Bibles, it says it holds all parts together. And in building, it's like, I think it's the plumb line is the right word. It's, it's to line up all those things. The first stone that you lay, it's, it, it, it orientates the whole rest of the building. It's yeah. Their direction, they, they have to be in line. And so just take that literally and apply it to Jesus what he did for us. He set the way for us. He shows us when we're in line and we're not in line. And he joins us together with everybody else. That's the real part of the metaphor that really comes alive. He says, stone by stone, with Jesus being the cornerstone that holds all of us together, like Siobhan said, the cross that brings us together taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by whom? By God. All of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. You see, we are the living stones of this home, this temple that is built by God. If we are just individual, living our individual Western lives, like so many of us do, right, we can't be connected. We're not, the temple is not Siobhan on, on his own or Stephen on its own. It's when we come together when we are joined in with Christ Jesus being that joining point, that glue, that's when we become the temple. Yeah. You see? And that, 
it's, isolation is never on God's heart. He, he wants unity. He wants union. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think the... the I think the message says uh, brick on brick and stone on stone, and I understand why he's saying that, but I, I always, whenever I think about stones and when the old and the, the Jews built a stone, and, and particular stones, certain parts of the temple were not allowed to be handled with a human um, hand. So you weren't allowed to cut the stone, you weren't allowed to, like when they built the altar for You weren't allowed to have dominion over you the stone. You, you, weren't allowed to, you, were allowed, you were not allowed to uh, subdue that stone. No. Um, because it was supposed to be something sacred and something that only God was allowed to shape. And then, so when nature shaped something, it was as if God was shaping it. Um, and, and we are those stones. We are different. We have different shapes. We are different color. We, yeah. we think differently. We are, and God is uniting us, right? And he's not pushing us into a cookie-cutter fashion. You know, we're going to be all shaped the same way, think the same thing. You know, that's, not, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that if we find our place, we will fit perfectly just as we are. Yeah. Now, we are all being fashioned and molded into the image of his son. Right? So it's not like you stay as you are and you don't have to change. It's we're all being grafted into the image of Christ anyway, but with our own personalities and our own flavor and our own way of doing things. Um, and so that leaves me with, I can't tell you how to do stuff, you know? Unless it's your boss, he has the right to do that. So <laughs> you're saying that because your boss is sitting Yeah, he's sitting here, so he isn't. <laughs> um, but, but you understand what I'm saying? There's, there's, some, there's a desire within us sometimes, not only to be like other people, but to form other people into our own image. And that's why it's so important not to judge other people either, because... You're not the one who's responsible for the yeah. work there. Right? Yeah. You can come alongside your brother. Don't misunderstand us. That's why we're connected. Yeah. I need, if I see Siobhan's going through a hard time, I need to come alongside and help, but not, not implement my will over him. Mm. Right? But ask God to have his will over him. And if I am that vessel to be used in whatever way it is, then you, know you have to be wise in that. Later on in Ephesians, he makes it so clear. You see, Christianity is unity through diversity. Yeah. See, this world is stuck on the diversity part, and we're not uniting. It's very important that we're all very different, right? This day and age is so important. They stress diversity, but they forget the unity, right? Um, so Ephesians says it literally later on, yeah. and exciting to get there, but it's unity through diversity. It, we need to be our own people. We need to be unique into who God created us to be. Like, that's why the stone and metaphor is so strong, yeah. right? So before we just rush into uh, chapter 3, I want to open it up to anybody here. What do you guys, do you have anything to share? Any revelations you would like to share? Something on your heart? Please, don't be shy. Are you receiving the stones that we're throwing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah? just I have a comment only I just like how in verse 14 um, in I think this is NLT or NIV where he says for he himself is our peace who made who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier 
the dividing wall of hostility. I just, I like that Im imagery mm -hmm. that he is our peace, because you were talking about he's putting the cross in front of everything. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. like how they say that in that translation that says he is our peace. Yeah. That's dividing, you know, like, um, mm it's like taking down the barrier yeah. and dividing that wall. Yeah, and um, even before the cross, when Jesus was in the flesh, I mean, whatever, whatever people try to make him make a divisive comment about taxes or about adultery, he was always the peace in that situation. Mm. He's, he never picked a side. He never, he never allowed the, the human agenda to rule, to re re realize in division. He always brought peace. Yeah. So while he was alive, and of course in his death, he was the peacemaker. Yeah. And we in him should be that today too. Yeah. Oh, good. Thanks, Nicole. Anybody else? Don't be shy, but we're happy to carry on. If All right. Please, at any point, let me just interrupt us. We, we like being interrupted. Uh, that's, that means we, we are in this together. All right. So let's read Ephesians 3. And I'm just going to read verse 1 to 3 from the message, and we don't need to elaborate this because Paul does all the elaboration and the introduction. Can you read to verse 6? Pardon? Can you read to verse 6? Just go right there. Okay, I'll read to verse 6. This is why I, Paul, am in jail for Christ. You see, he's carrying on from, that's why we thought, you know, remember when you read the Bible, it's not separated by headings and chapters. He, he wrote one letter. It's a very long one, um, but he wrote one letter and it was shared audibly. So says, this is why I, Paul, am in jail for Christ, having taken up the cause of you outsiders, so-called. I take it that you're familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody. I got the inside story on this from God himself, as I, wrote, as I just wrote you in brief. Right? He's just recapping what he just said from, uh, from 4. As you read over what I've just written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's Spirit through His holy apostles and prophets of this new order. The mystery, is that God, the, the mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have never heard of Him in all their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. Yeah, I think the key word there is mystery. He's in in the in the Greek first century. The way they used the word mystery was not that it was like we the way the way we use it. We use it when we say something's a mystery. We some something's mysterious or unknown or cloudy or exactly right. <laughs> so, but when 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 they use it, it, it means that something that was once cloudy and misty and that is now made plain. So when he talks about this idea of a mystery, it's not that, that we need to go and dig and find out what this is now. It's like in the next line, he's like, this is plain. This is what this, was, this, this idea of God was from the beginning of time. That yeah. It would seem like we are divided, but God is moving us in a direction that we will one day become one and united in Christ. Yeah, it's like the, the way... The they used it as like the box was closed and hidden and unknown. Mm -hmm. But it's opened. 
and now we know what the contents are, but we still celebrate it as a mystery. As a mystery, yes. So the way he just he, he said this was this box that we did not know has been revealed as a Christ mm -hmm. and the whole plan, and now we know is this this is the mystery of Christ, yeah. and he holds it up to show everybody yeah. that it's no longer, yeah. it's no longer uncertain. It's no longer it's hidden, yeah. As well, we would con we would call it a revelation. Yeah, exactly. When something becomes revealed or unveiled. Yeah, exactly. That's what they would say is a mystery. So, when I was preparing this, something really struck me, and how familiar this this whole humanity story is, not only for us, but for this, this physical church and these group of people that are sitting in front of us. If you, if you don't know, let's talk about the brief history of this church. It's called Alpha and Amiga, right? It was first called Indutanika Ministries, and it was only to one group of people, right? It was only to the Greek nation, where Dad, on his heart, he's, he was ministering to Greek people from his salvation moment in Zimbabwe, came here, long story short, to the Greek people, but then God challenged him. He says, it's not only for the Greek people. And, and just like that, where you look around the flags, we opened up the church, I don't know exactly the number of years since, I think 97. From 97, we've been any culture, creed, nation, whatever, and, and that's just been a wonderful, a wonderful illustration of how the gospel has transpired. So our own, we can identify this in our DNA, is that we are no longer isolated to one type of people. We are now celebrated, and you should hear Dad when he talks about it. He celebrates the multicultural part of our church. We love it because it's a reflection of the body of Christ. Amen? So we're so much better for it. That's the thing. Yeah. We're so much better for diversity. We are stronger in diversity when that diversity comes together in unity. And it, like I said, it's a representation of the greater church. Anybody want to read verse 7 to 8? You happy with that? Or you want to... yeah. Anyone want to read verse 7 to 8? Thanks, Sorry. Valerie. <laughs> uh, verse 7 to 8. Yeah. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles and, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this ministry, which, why did I skip something? I'll, I'll start from eight again. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles and the unsearchable riches of Christ. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I think there's a, Paul is highlighting the, the, the special nature in which he's the he wasn't the first person to preach to the Gentiles, that was Peter. But God sort of qualified him to do that. And so he, in the message it says he, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, given this because of his natural abilities. He was given this task because God chose him to be, he was, God saw him, sought fit for him to be the one. And so he goes and in the beginning of the chapter you realize that he's in prison because of this. And so he's, him saying it, he's saying, guys, I know I'm locked up. I'm in, in the prison. I'm chained to the wall. But don't worry about it. You are free. And you are free to spread the message. Right? That's, that's his, his, his sentiment. It's, it's God chose me for this purpose. 
So don't be downcast that I am stuck in a prison somewhere. I want you to go and shout this out on the rooftops. Right? Because there's, there's two ideas going on in the Gentile mind at the time. It's that, number one, we are not Jewish, and we are accepting a, 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 Jewish, a Jewish Messiah, yeah. right? a Jewish king as our own. And then, number two, we are not Jewish, so why are we busy with this stuff? Right? And so he's trying to break that, that idea that, number one, you are worthy of this, and number two, you're not better than this. And I think sometimes we have the, the, the tendency to come into something and know better. Right? And know better <laughs> or we have a tendency to come into something and think we are not worthy of what we are. Yeah. And he's, he's kind of like saying, guys, God sent me, right, Paul, to tell you that you are on equal footing. And this is no longer a secret. So anyone trying to tell you that this is not the truth is deceiving you. So that those, those few lines there are, are really encouraging them. And it should encourage us. Because so often we get like, oh, we, we do something or we say something or we act in a certain way and we feel, is this for me? Is this real? We either overestimate our ability or underestimate our ability. And the whole point is not our ability. Yeah, it's not. Uh, from 8 to 13, you want me to read yeah, it? Go for it? And you can, we can touch from there. And so here I, I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. And all of us are like, but you're writing this. <laughs> <laughs> the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. Right? That's what's over his head. Mm-hmm. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God who created all this in the first place has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through followers of Jesus, like yourselves, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. All this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. When we trust in Him, we are free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. So don't let my present trouble on your behalf get me down, or get you down. Be proud. Yeah. Yeah, I just love when he says, through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, the extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. Right? When we trust him, we are free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. That's powerful. Yeah, and, and notice how the Message Bible says that it's all executed in Christ, not by Christ. Right? Like when we dealt with in the beginning, we were saying that this idea of being in Christ is us being back in Eden or in the presence of God or doing something with God. Right? So the execution part is you and I need to have harmony. The execution of this is not Jesus is going to somehow do this from heaven. It's being executed in him, but not by him alone. Right? This is the works that, we, that was prepared beforehand for us. That we would go into the earth and find peace and harmony in the spirit. Right? That's, that's the, 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 I think sometimes we read over those, those, those words like in Christ. Because we're so familiar 
or we think we understand what, what is being said, but in fact, Paul is saying things off the cuff that to him and his readers are, are, are much deeper than what we, uh, we are willing to accept. We see in Christ as the cross, the act of the cross, yeah. and it's done and it's over. No, and it's a, it's a, it's a continual thing. Right, so when Be, we, being in Christ, yeah. like the Greeks, this is written in Greek, and uh, a lot of you know already that when, when they use some verbs, it's the continuous present tense. So be being filled with the Spirit, for example. We don't get baptized in the Spirit and we're done. Yeah. We have to we be keep, we keep being in the Spirit. It's, it's, it's something you need to partake of. Eat your daily bread. Yeah. So in Christ is a continuous yeah. present tense. Yeah. We, it's, it's something we need to be aware of and acknowledge and execute in. Yeah. It's not a passive thing. Yeah. You know, it's not something we, we experience once and then it's over. It's something we continue to experience every single day. Yeah. Right? And that in everything we encounter, and when we do anything, we do it in Christ. So because and that means that word there in Christ is just the I'm backed by God. I'm backed by the presence of God. Yes, Nicole. Go for it. No. We like being interrupted. Sorry, don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. Fine, I have a comment. <laughs> okay. I want to. I just, I'm sorry. Okay. I just was wondering do you think also, like when you read, this is the other translation, verse 12 says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. When you read that, mm. I feel like it was important him saying it. In that time, he was preaching it to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. He's come from the law, from a people where you've got to do all these things. You have all this stuff. You have all these rituals and things that, to approach God. Mm-hmm. Now he's going to the Gentiles and saying, guys, you can approach God through faith in him. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I forgot the word I was going to use now. But I think, he, he, I think it was important he was trying to stress that. This is the new way. Yeah, that's revolutionary. There's no longer acts of flesh and, and, uh, and rituals that you have to do. It's now you can boldly go to the throne. Yeah, it's quite cool. Yes, I just wanted to add so Also, you guys need to come freely and boldly to the comment section. Right? <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't say sorry. We, we love interaction. Yeah. Please, don't. We know we talk a lot. Don't hold back. Um, yeah. Great. Anybody else? Okay. Anybody would like to read we can get two people to read so they don't get one more person to try. So let someone read 14 to 19 for us. Thanks, Carmen. Um, I'm doing the New King James Version. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through the faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able... Do you say till 19? Yeah. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Thanks. So I'm going to ask a question here, is that after Paul has basically spent three chapters saying, 
right? What is his own response to his own words about speaking to the Gentiles, speaking to the Jews, saying it's one family and that it's, everything is in Christ and it's not what we could do or have done, but what he has done. What is his own response for, remember, the church of Ephesus firsthand, but for all Christians today? Um, what, what, is, what, is his, what is his response that we read from verse 14? Yeah. That um, my, my, my understanding would be that there is now there is no, no longer two. There's, there's, there's a single line. So there's no longer um, Jew being mm. the oracles, holding the oracles of God, mm. or the Gentiles, who's the so called outcasts. Mm. It's now the Father of, of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's one Father, and everybody under him yeah. is, is, is family, sons and daughters. And what Paul does, like Megan says, is in having this, rev- this sharing this revelation, he goes on his knees, he prays for them. Yeah, I think that's one of the f- most fascinating ways Paul approaches prayer. You see it in, in chapter 1 as well. He says God's doing this marvelous thing, this amazing thing that's happening, and because he's doing it, and I know you're participating already, I'm going to pray for you. You know, he's, he's not saying, yeah, you guys need to, you guys need to actually get a move on you. No, you guys are so involved. And because you're involved, I'm going to pray. Yeah, we, right? we, we generally pray for people. Putting our hands up, we, we always pray when things are not going well. Yeah. Right? And 911 prayers. <laughs> <laughs> and he's praying when things, yeah. when people have, are yeah, getting they, they in it. And then he's like, Man, okay, I'm praying, you know. And, and then you see the same thing happening in chapter 3. It's like, all of this is being executed in Christ. You guys are moving ahead. You guys are doing something. And because of all of that, for this reason, because of that, I'm going to, I'm going to pray now. And that's, that is, it's, it's a mind shift. It's not that you don't pray when things go wrong. It's that we pray even more when things are going well. It's like, when things are actually happening in our fellowship, when things are actually going well for us, that's when we just add fuel to the fire. Just adding fuel to the fact that God is doing something and there's momentum and Paul's saying, you know what? You guys are experiencing something that's amazing, but I just want to open the door a little bit wider. It's like, I like when you said fire, is that you put logs on the fire because you want it to burn more and longer. Yeah. And prayer is that putting that logs on a fire that's already healthy yeah. and burning. Yeah. And so often in, in our own lives, like I said, putting my hand up, is that when things are going well, you sit back. And the Bible says just a little sleep, just a little slumber, just a little folding of the arms. Yeah. In other words, things were going well, but you forgot your first love. You forgot to fuel that passion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that, that what Paul is doing is, it's, I think it's a bit, it's alien for me, and it's, it's alien, alien, for, for, it's me alien for the Western culture because... We only believe in 911 prayers. Yeah. And he's, he's encouraging us to actually follow suit. Guys, God's doing something in our fellowship. Yeah. God is doing something amazing in our fellowship. And our response to that should be to participate firstly in prayer. Yeah. You see, one thing I learned from Dad, and you can see it in Paul as well, is that when you pray for someone, you have them in your heart. Mm. Because you have them in your heart, you pray for them. He has this church, these people that he's, he's helped grow two or three years, the longest stay of his apostolic journey. Mm. He's thinking about them. All his letters to the churches in Corinth, Galatia, he's, he has, his hearts are there. Yeah. 
and he prays for them. This is someone who can, you can clearly see he's praying yeah. for them. Like we said, even when things are going well. And, and yeah, that's just that's so encouraging and amazing. Yeah. But now that we know that he's praying for them, what specifically is he praying for? If you read your Bibles, what is he... He's, they're on fire, they've got this thing on the right track, but what is he asking God for now from them? Which is an evidence. Yes, teacher's pet. And, <laughs> just kidding. Hi, you encourage him and you do that? <laughs> oh, no, it's my wife. Don't give me. No, answer. It's fine. You're handling tough quick. Go for it, Nicole. If I read this, what I feel like he's praying for is that they would have the revelation of how they are in God's heart. Mm. That's a nice way to put it, yeah. Yeah, just like we, we, did on, we said on Sunday when he prayed again in chapter 1. Like in one letter, he's praying twice, yeah. right? That we know already that we've covered. And he says, once again, a personal encounter. In, he wants them to have a personal encounter that Christ is at the center. Mm. He wants them to invite Christ more. Like we said, continual present tense. Just because you've invited him once, don't forget to keep going deeper and getting to know him more, more intimate, mm. more personal, right? Yeah. I would also say I think it's a it's a fellowship thing because he's he says I pray that you may be strengthened right and that you would be rooted and grounded in love may I have strength to comprehend with the saints yeah. what is length depth height right is yeah. is it's not just to to get a revelation by yourself because you can't yeah you you can <laughs> but uh, it's it's not as impactful right I think when we get a revelation together of the love of God because of the way we interact with one another. I think maybe what that really speaks to is so often our revelation of God is skin deep, it's us and Him. Yeah. But where the experiential thing comes out is where I am so transformed and touched by that love for what it is that God has done that people around me begin to feel it and you begin to experience God's love through me. Yeah. And I begin That's... to experience God's love through you and so this this very intangible thing yeah. grows hands and feet yes. and, and begins to have real yeah. impact. That's exactly what he's saying. Yeah. I, I like like the width and depth of something. Yeah. It's because it's the people. Mm. There's the width and the depth of the people. Like Michael said... I'm growing in love, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but like Michael shared on once, I think it was two Sundays, or last yes. Sunday, where he spoke about how unique... And guys, I want this to... This must be a personal story for the church as well as for you individually. Around this very room, we have people that are on every sphere of life, every sphere of industry, and it's no coincidence. And that's the width and the breadth of God's love, that we are supposed to, we are in, we're not meant to be separated. We're in the world, but we're not the world. Mm. We're supposed to be the light and the salt there. So when we're in all these spheres and industries, that's a good thing. That's a healthy family. We are, we are having dominion, subduing. Mm. We are subduing, yeah. yeah. So I also like the way the way he, um, he finishes verse, verse 19. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Right? When we have an abundant life, mm. and a, a lot of people think to have life and to have it more abundantly is, is material and possession, but it isn't. It's to be full in the fullness of God. Right? Mm. That's what we need to be full of. Right? Not full of ourselves, but full of God and be filled with God and Christ. And that's what Paul's praying for. He wants to mm -hmm. increase. He wants to pour. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's, that's what he's doing in his prayers. So let's carry on. I'll, I'll read verse 20 to 21, unless someone wants to. The, the last few verses. All right, I'll read. 
God can do anything, you know. Far more than you can ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah, in Jesus. Glory to God down all the generations. Glory through all millennia. Oh, yes. And, um, yeah, just like I said earlier, you see, we have a Greek mindset of who God is. And that word God, we've lost a real, you know, the, the English word God doesn't mean because you go tell someone you believe in God out there, and their imagery of God can be, if I do something wrong, it's going to strike me down with lightning. See, this is what Paul's giving us a, a, a more accurate representation of God, and that's why the, the rhetoric changes to Father, to Abba Father, yeah. right? And he's not a chess player. The Greek mindset is that these deities up there, that they do their pleasure and they, have, they use men as pawns. That's not, that's not our God. Yeah. Right? And um, he's an intimate, he's a personal. He, that's why I love when it says there, he, does not, he doesn't do his will by pushing us around, by working within us. That's how he does it. He, that's why I said it's, it's important to know he wants us to be part of the gospel story. Yeah. He desires us to be a pivotal part yeah. through his spirit deeply and gently within us. It's like, I mean, if you remember the story of Elijah when he goes to Mount Herob or Mount Sinai and, then, and he's waiting on the Lord and all these manifestations, the fire, the wind, uh, what was the other one? Quake. The earthquake. Yeah. And it always says then God wasn't in those. But then what was God in? The still, small, silent whisper. And amongst all that. And, you know, that's, that's why we say God is the same yesterday as he is today. Is that his, his heart's desire is not to make this big extravagant show and of all his awesome power which he has and is available but he rather wants us to be a part of it he, mm. that's his heart's desire he wants to, us to be a part of the story for, for our benefit and I think that's just, that's just amazing he chooses us yeah. and he chooses to be gentle with us yeah, I, think that's, I think that's probably God's greatest delight is to see us reflect him I um, watch I I, there's one of, one of the guys I, I used to listen to, he, he said, if you ever wondered what, what would it be cool to see if you were God? What, what would it be cool to see if you were God? He says, do you think God looks at mountains like, you know, I did a fantastic job there? <laughs> no, if you were God, what you'd want to see is a mirror. Because what's better than that? And then you know what he did? He created a lot of them. And the mirror that chooses to reflect him. Yeah. yeah. And so he puts his nature and his image on us and looks at us and says, that's not even it. Just watch how they act by themselves inspired by me. Because when they look at me, they'll reflect me. Yeah. And so that's his greatest delight, watching us reflect him. Yeah. And also going back to Genesis, when God breathes in him, he chooses to take his essence and put it inside of man and for man to be used with, you know, and you just think that the, the Hebrew word is, of breath or wind is ruach, and they don't separate between breath or wind. It's one word, and spirit is all. Spirit, wind, breath is ruach of God. And just think, we know the effects of wind, not what, what we see, but what the effect it has. 
We know the, ref the effect of the breath of God, not because we see the awesome power and the power of majesty, but we see the effect it has on man and what man does. Mm -hmm. And that's how God chooses. He always wants to be within us. He wants that breath within us to be inhaled and exhaled and have an effect on him, on the rest of the world. I just wanted to bounce off what Siobhan was saying, that, that analogy <clears throat> of the mirror, because as a father, both my greatest delight and my greatest fear <laughs> is watching my daughters mimic me. <laughs> just to be just like me. In some ways, it's my greatest delight um, because of that aspect of my personality I may consider acceptable or pleasing. In other ways, it's my greatest fear because their impersonations are honest. <laughs> and it's just, as a father, there's nothing more... Um, nothing more beautiful than that than watching your kids I mean I saw I saw something yesterday which blessed my heart I mean you all know who Phil Collins is you know the, the drummer the musician he's, six, he's, he's come back from I mean he's been through a bunch of stuff recently but he's coming back he's doing a world tour again and through because of some physical things that have gone wrong with him he can't play the drums anymore but his 16 year old son is coming along on tour with his dad and his 16 year old son is drumming for him and you just see the, the pride in that dad because his, his boy is mm. playing his songs, his way. Mm. And it's just a beautiful picture of what you're talking about tonight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and amen. That's, this is where we want to open it up. Uh, just because we finished. Yeah. Great, thanks. What, what is so astounding for me is when reading, especially the last portion from... I think verse 15 or 16. And when Paul says he's on his knees, he first establishes our identity and who we are, mm -hmm. that we're part of this family. Then he, he grounds and roots us in love, which in a way the imagery I get is, you know, when you're trying to create something, you ground it and you root it, tent, like 10 pegs. Mm -hmm. And then going on to explain you know, that we are grounded in love. And in my version, it says that to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Yeah. So it's because of the love of Christ that we get the special knowledge passed to us. Yeah. And I often wonder, what is that purpose? But I like the way it's rounded in um, verse 20. So now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly everything... So the works, we do the works mm -hmm. above every anything mm -hmm. we can even comprehend. Yeah. And just also the illustration of, um, I know Shakespeare stole <laughs> or uh, used poetic license. And that's why I like that uh, portion because it's one of the favorite sonnets uh, I like reading. I think it's from 18. The width and the depth and the height of love. Mm -hmm. And that's God's love. Yeah. And once you comprehend that, and it's rooted in your heart, you can impact those around you. Yeah. And thereby achieving and accomplishing those things that you cannot think and comprehend. And how do you, how do you pass that love? Because the passing of this knowledge is the love of Christ. Yeah. And once you have it, you are able to expand and do things in the lives of others around you. Mm -hmm. And often I wonder, you're talking about being different... Um, places of industry often grapple with this question what is my purpose in the place where I work yes I, I do a certain thing but 
that's not that's not it. That is not it. Yeah. It's to pass that knowledge and that do what God needs to through me. Yeah. And um, <laughs> you know, I stopped and I was saying to myself whether it be co-workers, whether it be people that you're dealing with, you need to express that. And sometimes in the world that you live, it's challenging and like, you know, hands up, need that 911 prayer. But this is really amazing when you start going back into the Word and understanding what our purpose is. And um, once you know that you're part of this family, and I like when it says the whole family in heaven and earth, yeah. is named yeah. and I, we've got a name we've got a label we we, we belong somewhere yeah. and because of that you can work um once you have a my son was busy building tribes today on his <laughs> tablet so we're part of that tribe yeah. you know and and i understand what you're saying about moving away from your culture and your ethnic identity yeah. we're part of this tribe yeah. and the tribe is to so go out and subdue and take dominion over everything that we encounter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. I think one thing that just stands out for me is that, well, for myself, that I often seek to find my identity in my own achievements mm-hmm. and that I sometimes forget that at the core of it, my identity isn't what I do or who I am, yeah. but it's God's love for me. And when you judge yourself by your own achievements, you often fail because you, you can't actually meet your own expectations. Mm. And then you, you steal from your own life because you steal your joy because yeah. you aren't me- measuring up. Mm-hmm. And if you actually just remember that your identity is that you are a loved child of God, mm-hmm. And then it's, in, in my version, it says, you'll be made complete with the fullness of life. Yeah. Like there's so much like fullness of life. To me, that sounds so amazing. And like yeah. what joy and what comfort there is in that to be complete, not because of anything around you, but simply because you are loved by God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's often something I forget. And it's nice to be reminded, yeah, like where, where, is you, where are you finding your identity? Because if you're not experiencing the fullness of life, maybe it's because you've defaulted back to yeah. trying to find your identity in something other yeah. than God's love. Yeah, amen. So, sure. That was a good preach. We're just going to use Nicholas saying and we're going to put that up. <laughs> Anyone else? This is good. I think... Throughout Paul's letters, there's this theme of unity in the body of Christ. And for me and and the revelation I have of that unity is almost as if God doesn't need anything from us. He has a desire for us. He doesn't need us particularly to do something in order for him to be God. He's God regardless of what we do. But it's almost as if he's encouraging this unity to say, to us as his people that I need you to be united so I can bless you. I need you to be united so I can answer prayer. Because if if you're not united, let's take us as a local body, and if the people are not united, what good is it if I pray for you? God is never going to move and manifest. 
because we're not united. So your heart and your motive is not really to see the blessing in that person's life. Yeah. God wants to pour out the blessing, but the, it's the unity that sort of aligns us to, to receive God's best. So he's pouring it out, the blessings are there, but if, if we come as a people and we all have our own agenda and there's strife and there's division and there's offense and, and those things have not taken root, um, I'm convinced that if, if you just con continue church in that way, yeah. eventually there will be no local church. Because mm, that isn't being church. Yeah, so everything in the kingdom gets transferred through relationship. I don't know, it's something we speak about often here, father-son relationship, yeah. the relationship with each other, the rest of the, the people in church. But there's no point in pouring your heart out and crying and shouting and praying in the spirit and praying in the known tongue. and Whatever it is, it's as if God is waiting for, where is the unity? Oh, yeah. And not just tolerating each other, but being intentionally united. Yeah. I think that that's what Paul is getting at here. So he, he goes to the, the heart of the matter and he speaks about the, the cultural disconnect, yeah. the racial disconnect, as, yeah. as you said, we, we have it now. Because that's fundamentally our, our comfort zone. Yeah, that's our I gravitate thing. towards the people, towards my people, and you gravitate towards your people. Yeah. And here we, in this church, we, we are so diverse in terms of yeah. culture and race, and we come from different backgrounds. Yeah. But it's, it's not the thing that defines us, yeah. it, and it should never be. And what you're saying about it being, these are things that we have to continuously walk in. Yeah. There's no use in us saying, yes, tonight we are united. Yeah. But we still have issues with crossing cultural divides. And, yeah. and, and this is really a blessed church in that we see so many of those crossing the lines across yeah. culture. Yeah. I think what, it pleases the heart of God for people to be intentionally united. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just to, thanks, Craig. Just yeah. This shouldn't be a once-off occurrence. What I hear your heart is just the manifestation of a cross cultures coming together shouldn't just be on a Sunday or on a Wednesday. And what I really like is Craig gave us a nice introduction where Paul, in, from Ephesians four, really gets really hands-on with how you are to have relationship. Yeah. How in the message is to rhythmically work together. In, in God, yeah. you know, and um, just touch with what you guys have shared. Um, you have to, like what Carmen says, you have to experience God's love. You have to experience God's love, and in experiencing God's love, you help others share in that experience. And like Nicholas says, you know, then in the experience of God's love, who you actually really are, yeah. that loved child of God, and then you reach out and you touch others, yeah. and in that unity, that's where God makes His home. So you're answering the question I was about to ask. How do you know the love of Christ which passes knowledge? You experience it. <laughs> it's, it's an incredible yeah. paradox, and we always mm. think that yeah. I, I need to have this revelation. Mm. And I believe that that's, that, is, that is true. That is 100% true. But at the same time, it's part true. Because I know, my, I know how my life shifted. There was a quantum shift in my life, living, knowing about Jesus and working for Jesus and doing things in Jesus, being a youth ministry and worship teams and all kinds of things, works, works, works for Jesus. 
and then having a revelation of his love that he loved me without the works. Yeah. Mm. And all the condemnation falls off and all the double, the double life and the double standards goes away. So there's that, there's that aspect of it. There, there is that revelationary aspect of it. But I think where, where Paul just hits it anyway, I think it's so beautiful that you can know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. How do you, how do you, can you explain your love for faith to me? Can you possibly put words around it? You, you probably couldn't. But it like, depends on the kind of night you've had, probably. <laughs> I, want, I, I want to ask a question. That word, no, um, I will have to research, but I just popped in my head. It's like the way Adam knew Eve. Yeah. It's something that has to come through an intimate experience. Yeah. And, and that's where our, our language fails us. Mm. The, human lang the English language fails us because it, the word no is not here, which we no. stay in every day and work in. It's here. It's a tangible See, Sometimes we have to get what's in our hearts to our heads and not from our heads right. to our hearts. That's mm. right. And your heart knows things your head doesn't, can never understand. Because that contains the Spirit of God. Mm. And yeah, I'm, that's and that's what revelation knowledge is. When some, it's not revelation is not when some idea that you have finally settles in your heart. That's 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 the wrong way around. Revelation knowledge is when something that you know in your heart finally that mystery makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's a revelation. Yeah. The bulb has gone on. Yeah. Amen. So yeah, I think we've we are we're going a bit over time. So excuse us. But it's a really good conversation. We're really liking the interaction. Um, and it's everything that you guys have said is setting you up for next week. It's really setting you up for what Paul's about to do. He's, he's given us all this philosophy and ideas, and, and then from four on, it's like, like Craig said, now you're going to be intentional about this. Yeah. If it's not intentional, it's not going to happen by accident. You know, if we, if we come into this thinking that we're not going to use effort to make this work for us, then we are deceived. What this really does is it blows our model, our thinking, our organizational understanding of church out of the water. Yeah. Yeah, we want it's, to do it's that. It's no longer... That's our goal. Yeah, but it's no longer just this, this, this body that we belong to where we come to be blessed and certain people have the role of looking after us. Mm -hmm. That's just gone. Yeah. yeah, because Paul, as the Father, is telling the, the body of Christ to do. And let me just read the first line, not even the first line of chapter 4. And I want, Megan will testify. You see, Bible study isn't as much as learning the Bible and, and, and moving on and thinking you've got it, but God will create moments from you sitting here, God will create conversational moments with people. Sometimes, in Megan's case, very clear. <laughs> right? Where they actually asked the question that was just read in Scripture. And be prepared for it. Be expectant for people to start asking questions on what you are learning. Because God is opening those doors. And that's what I want you to say. Like Michael said, God will give those opportunities. Number one, be expectant of them. Be aware to them. And let God lead you into them. Mm. So, in saying that, I want you to think... While you're thinking of Ephesians 1 to 3, that we've given you a snapshot from Sunday to today, look how Paul starts Ephesians 4. In light of all this, here's what I want you to do. So ask yourselves that question, and we encourage you to read ahead. Yeah, read ahead. Please. Read ahead. We're going to be doing chapter per week now. Mm -hmm. And read ahead and be expectant and aware for God, for you to play a part in what it means to be His family. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Would anybody like to close in prayer for us tonight?
No, he opened, didn't he? he yeah, but who would like to close? Oh, oh, it's been blown. <laughs> <laughs> Not my job. <laughs> You're right. Thanks, Megan. <laughs> he doesn't know when not to talk. No, please. No, we need to close the prayer. The prayer is important. <laughs> Thank you, Father God, that we can gather here and fully understand the unity, Father, and understand what you have actually initially um, intended for us and the position at which you always wanted us to live. Thank you for the information and the revelation knowledge and everything that went out tonight, Father God. It was really encouraging and really fruitful and very, uh, it's just, it sets us up, Father God, for the week ahead and we just really appreciate it and we thank you for your presence and for a new understanding of your love, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Megan. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.